Hi, this is uh, Eyal Shai, and you're about to hear an installment out of a series called Deep Hanging Out Community. It's me speaking with my friend Catherine Widewis about community and different aspects of community, like society versus the individual, uh, the dark side of community, how to establish communities and maintain them, and much more. So I hope you enjoy. Hello, Ayal. It's good to be back here. It is good. Thank you. Yeah, it's nice to see your face. So we have been chatting about community and belonging and what this means um, kind of structurally and socially, but something we haven't yet talked much about is our own personal experiences with it. When we've, when we've experienced a sense of belonging, um, communities we've helped to build or join and what have you. So I'm really curious to hear your story of community. If you think about I mean, I, this could go so many places because you've lived a, a long and illustrious life. But if you think about um, maybe childhood, what did community mean for you growing up? Yeah. So I grew up on a kibbutz, which is a, a communist. Um, I think I mentioned it, but a communist type of, of community at its heart. It, it's not anymore, but that's how it was founded, uh, where people pulled resources and manpower and everything. Um, so I was born into a transition period of the of the kibbutz. It wasn't so strict as it was in the beginning. Um, there was money. It was actually doing quite well. And I had a very, very happy childhood in terms of the of the community because I have many friends who are close close in age to me. Um, and yeah, it's it's just the type of place where it's super safe to go anywhere even when you as a young child so there's no um no kind of boundaries where you can go even outside of the kibbutz and even on some level it's borderline uh, irresponsible like the, la yeah. the lack <laughs> the lack of um of uh, overseeing that that we enjoyed um but it was very very happy but but Ever since childhood, and this is something to ponder on, ever since childhood, it seems to me that I was just not the kind of person who um, very easily sees himself as an organic part of, of a tight-knit community. Mm. So there's, it seems that there's some grain of um, individuality in my mm. psyche that, that is just there so maybe a, a good way of a good example to show this would be uh, the national anthem of of israel so it's uh in israel you have a memorial day and then it's immediately followed by by independence day in in may and so there are these two days where you go to the uh, center of the kibbutz and uh, first the flag is taken um to um you know halfway down i forget i blank on the name of that um but uh, so there's this whole like somber uh, ceremony and you sing the tikva the national anthem and then a day later you have you have uh, yomat's mode independence day and you sing the national anthem again and so on and i remember as a child like i really as, for as, when i was naive i really enjoyed singing with everyone you know of course i did not 
know any of the words like i haven't had a, a conception of what they really convey and all that some people say it's it's a racist anthem like i can i can see that um but anyway i really enjoyed having this communal moment with everyone when we're all singing our hearts out right but at a quite young age i was like uh oh uh you know i i just started having this feeling that it's wrong to do anything that is at that level of many people becoming one because i recognize mm. somehow that it could also be dangerous in some way or mm. or something like that so i think it, it exemplifies this uh something in me that um that doesn't really allow me to completely coalesce into a community and i wonder if that is something that is really going anywhere or not and i'm yeah. saying that looking forward but yeah uh, i'm so interested bit. in in that tension that you felt of having what sounds like largely a really happy and kind of welcomed and welcoming childhood in this sense of community but also feeling that that sense of um maybe even suspicion or or a little bit of wariness maybe is a better word um i'm curious where do you think that comes from so I've no idea. I, the only thing I can surmise is that it has to do with the fact that uh, ever since I was young, um, I was clearly different because when I was three or something like that, I already knew how to identify every car I saw on the road, like the maker and model. And then it moved on to countries of the world and flags. And it was like this super nerd, um, high intelligence type of boy. Mm -hmm. So I was different, and uh, in that regard, for as long as I remember myself, I'm different, right? And to be in a community, mm -hmm. maybe you need to kind of be happy that there are many people like you around you. Um, but it's also a thing with the kibbutz too. So the kibbutz had a, uh, the kibbutz education. We would go to school with neighboring kibbutzim, and the tendency is to homogenize people um and this is especially bad for uh, gifted children okay so i have a my eldest sister she's 15 years um older than i am and she i i'm, I'm still pissed off that about that you know she's not made more of her life because i think she would have liked to and the education here did not allow her that there was just this homogenization um and and bringing the yeah the leaders of the pack back to the maybe back to the the peloton yeah so um i think that could be it yeah seeing the sense the force of um anyone that could kind of go too far ahead is sort of brought back to to stay in with others um I was going to say stay in line and and I think there's a way yeah there's a way in which that's true that's a different form of keeping people in line is sort of um controlling people's talent or ambition almost yeah yeah that's interesting so how long were you on the kibbutz when did you leave and what did leaving look like yeah so as soon as I finished my army service I just you know I did not waste time maybe a month after my uh release I was already in America in this other community also community um uh, off the grid homestead in Georgia in middle Georgia 
uh, like a hippie haven type of thing that attracts um, just the most liminal characters of society. So weirdos, uh, people struggling with mental health issues, uh, people looking for themselves, people uh, who are ideologues, people who would go on to become monks after that. Uh, yeah, mm -hmm. ex ex-felons um yeah just generally downtrodden people like a very interesting mix um and yeah so 21 years i was in the kibbutz i'd say yeah hmm. um yeah yeah and military service also is interesting um because you were talking about the that sense of kind of seeing everyone gathering around the flag and saying, I don't know about this. Was that oh. were you already feeling that before you served in the military? Oh, yeah. yeah. It was such a mistake to go in the military. I mm. mean, it is, it is mandatory. And, um, but they get you to, uh, to do like for an assessment when you're 16. And at that time I was not sure enough of myself. This is not what I wanted. So what I did do is on the first day when I did, uh, go into the army. I went to the uh, mental health officer and managed to get uh, my profile number uh, down so I wouldn't go to combat because I knew I didn't want to do that. So I told them, you know, when the time came, I would not, uh, I would just put my rifle down and go home. Like, I'm not, not going to be there. Um, and so that helped a bit. And through some connections, I also I got myself to be a personal driver for an officer and then later on even go even closer to home um, and just go back home every day. Um, at this point, I had my own apartment, the kibbutz, because uh, people would get it when they're 16, would get their own apartment in this apartment complex that's in a different side of the kibbutz than their parents' houses, oh, which wow. was... Yeah, which was an interesting part of the community now that I think <laughs> about it. That was a good perk. Um, yeah, and then midway, half, uh, ha halfway through my uh, service, I also tried to get out of the army on, on mental, for mental reasons, but they wouldn't let me out because it was a real life catch-22. They're like, oh, you're saying you're crazy to get out of the army. And I was like, what? And every sane person would do that. <laughs> so, yeah. um, <laughs> wow. Yeah. yeah and, uh, so I kind of, I did finish it in the end, three years um but it was definitely not easy and i was uh, sabotaging anything i could in the army uh trying to disappear for as long as i could uh yeah just just raise trouble for the people who are jailing me there mm. so you were there for what six years you said uh three yeah three okay okay yeah yeah so it sounds like you were very much ready to to be done with it oh yeah um so then how did you find yourself on a farm in georgia and you mean the state the state of georgia yeah yeah the state yeah. of georgia i have visited the country of georgia when i was 17 so i'm one of the lucky few who have been to both georgias i'm sure there are not many yeah. um and yeah well basically there's this thing called uh woof w-w-o-o-f mm -hmm. and it's willing workers on organic farms it's an organization that um that matches volunteers with farm owners so that people can go and uh, for room and board volunteer on farms. And it's usually not a full-time job. It's like four or six hours a day. So it's a wonderful opportunity to learn a lot, to meet, to travel in a very different way because 
you're going to be living with locals and and getting to know you know it's not it's not a touristy thing and i knew i wanted to fly for a long time and i have american citizenship um because i was thinking about spain but spain i would have had to um not stay for longer than three months so opened the american wolf catalog and immediately went to the uh, two most famous states, right? California and Florida, the Sunshine States and <laughs> the Hollywood mm-hmm. State and all that. And just called a bunch of farms. And for some reason, it didn't work out. And I think in Georgia, there was just one farm that was listed, right? It was <laughs> not the usual thing in Georgia mm-hmm. then. Um, this was 2008. And just saw this amazing description of a farm. So I contacted Debbie, the owner, and she was just like, I'd love for you to come, but you're coming from very far away. Know that it's a third world country out here. It's off <laughs> the grid. It's wow. all that. And I'm like, yeah, that's exactly what I wanted. It was kind of, um, I wanted that um, ascetic kind of hermit lifestyle to really do that and make the most of it and really look uh, deep within and find myself, as they say. So yeah, that got me there and I fell in love with the place, um, stayed for about seven months. Then friends from back home came and we went on a road trip uh, together. Um, yeah, so on and off, I stayed there for about two and a half years. Um, wow. Yeah, with a summer in Northern California and um, a few months in Tampa Bay, but overall mm-hmm. like two and a half years. Yeah. So when you think about um, your your long, you know, your history on the kibbutz, um, growing up on the kibbutz, and then spending almost two and a half years on a farm, what 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 feels like community about each of those spaces? Because they sound like very different environments, even though you're living with several other people. What feels like community in both of those spaces? Are there any through lines, or are there? Would you describe? Are those two different, very distinct forms of community? Yeah, that, that's an interesting question. So in the kibbutz, a detail that I just want to blurt out there, even though it's not directly connected to any of what we're talking about. My kibbutz had this weird tendency of people not saying hello to mm. one another. So mm. I think overall, the it was a community and they would shout at the because there's a it's like a, a direct democracy, right? Like one person, one vote, and everyone has the right, everyone who is a member, not the children and but you get accepted when you're 20 something or something and you can vote on, on things. I'm not a member today. Um, and so I don't know, just, it just kind of sets the, sets the atmosphere for what I'm going to say. But overall, as happy as I was growing up with my friends and stuff, I did not feel, uh, I did not, I did not feel like I belong and neither did mm. I want to belong in the mm. kibbutz and I certainly did not want to live my whole life in the kibbutz so that would be like a nightmare for me right I want to get out there I want to see the world I want to explore um, so community in that sense is something restricting right that that's my instinctive answer to that mm. Um, mm. and in jo- yeah and in Georgia it was a lot less restrictive because it was much more free-spirited and all I needed to do was to um, 
be good to everyone when it comes to dishes and do four hours a day of work, you know? So that was quite chill and there was a lot of time to, to, to have fun. So it wasn't as restrictive, but uh, with that too, it was, it was an interesting, uh, very interesting community. And because of the people coming and going, it's, uh, there was never really, I think today, I'm not really in touch with that community anymore. I think today there's still um, uh, like a kernel of, of, of some people at the core uh, that keep coming back, but people mm -hmm. come and go in that community uh, mm -hmm. with a few people like myself and a um, few other guys who have stayed longer stays, like two years um, where they, and it's a place, it, it, it's a place for rehabilitation, I should say. It's not, it's not yeah. touted as that, but it is from my experience. It's a, it, the people who have stuck the longest are people who needed to rehabilitate for something. So, a couple of my friends from there were heroin addicts who, who came there. Um, mm. uh, yeah, these are the people who who stay because Debbie, the owner, has this amazing ability to uh, project onto you the best that you could be, and it gives you belief in yourself, and you just become that, mm. that better person. Um, yeah, so it was a uh, so community in that sense. There was more like stay here as long as you want, but it's also not this restrictive thing because people come and go by definition. Something I think is so interesting is you talked about um, you're talking about this community, um, which sounds wonderful, this farm community, and also you talked about it as a chance to kind of be this aesthetic, you know, sort of solo yeah. monk like figure and it's interesting to think about I think we often think of community is with people and then individuation is I'm going off on my own and doing my own thing but it sounds like you saw this place as a place for both at the same time which is very cool yeah I, there was a lot of land there it's like 50 acres so I would I would uh, everyone would wake up at like 10 a.m or something and have like three coffees and then start doing their four hours of work I would be done by 12 o'clock I would be free so I I did not even uh, I wasn't even in sync with with the rest of the people and then I would just go out there and walk for hours like three or four hours every day easy uh, just identifying the plants and and thinking and you know hanging out at, at the end of the day I'm, I'm not I'm not a hermit like I like the company but I, I would spend a lot of time on my own um, and that was the that was part of the healing for sure um, mm -hmm. yeah so it there's there was definitely room for for both um, for for both um, socializing and and kind of going on your own and yeah the asceticism is, is really interesting I just think it's it, it's not a coincidence that it appears in Siddhartha and, and books yeah. like that and many other uh, people are going down uh, that path I think you kind of owe it to yourself to um, shake off hedonism a little bit, which we need mm -hmm. to do. Uh, so this is a pre-verbal kind of attraction to that, I think, that is healthy. Uh, I mm -hmm. don't think it's necessarily healthy to remain that, but it's good to wean yourself off of some, um, yeah, hedonistic uh, tendencies. There are ways that... Um 
I mean, if you think of um, early monasteries, kind of the, the, in the Christian tradition, sort of desert fathers and mothers who were, who were ascetics in that way, but would start to, at some point started to actually band together as a group of, you know, intentionally sharing resources, but also being dedicated to solitude and, and um, that practice of, of kind of solitary contemplation, but then also the rhythm of the hours being, you know, now is when we garden and now is when we pray and, you know, um, there's still being that structure in there. It sounds, it sounds kind of similar to that, um, which is yeah. interesting. And I, I do wonder about, um, uh, those who you're talking about that, that do kind of are driven by that, that more aesthetic mentality, kind of where we'll see that going. If, if that will be a similar impulse here, um, and for you, I don't know. Um, yeah. I think, I think something that's, that's really interesting too here is, um, the idea of communities serving different purposes. And I think one thing we've talked about this a bit in, in our last two episodes, that the idea of being clear on what the purpose of a community is and how important that is, is the important thing just that we all like each other and want to be around, or is the important thing that we're sort of banding together for a, for a purpose. Um, and there's such different purposes that you just described this idea of, um, you know, a very kind of closed system on the kibbutz and it's, we belong to each other and we're all doing this together. But with that does come restriction. It comes a real, a real code of behavior and, and belief um, versus something like the woofing farm that is around rehabilitation. And that is much, it has to be looser that way. And I think that's interesting, the way that we talk about communities as being there's just so many different models for it. Um, and yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's, you know what, that's such a good point because as individuals, we better know what we're doing, why we're doing what we're doing and what, yeah. what, what ends we're, we're aiming at. Um, that's such a good point. And you know what, it's, it's interesting because this is the first time that I said uh, Salamander Springs, that farm in Georgia was about rehabilitation you know, that was never a thing. That's not why Debbie started it. Like hmm. she thought she was just going to live off the land or something like that. But I think in the end, it's undeniable that if, if it has proven to be anything consistently is a place for people to heal, if I had to say that. Hmm. Um, and yeah, for the kibbutz, definitely it's this idealistic thing that it's, so it's like applying this, theory on the ground of, of communism of communism and how to structure a, a better world and but it's a very forceful type of ideology where you kind of erase your yourself right in in for the for the greater good um and and it's such a good point you know and it's something that i'm actually going to to take with me going forward because I'm not sure that even today, and we haven't gotten today with the story, um, so maybe I'll just fill it in because I don't know what I have to say about those um, three years between um, coming back to Israel and, and meeting my wife. I'll just say that I went to university and had the luck to start um, doing dialectic and from there becoming a better friend to everyone. So when I met my wife, I was already... Uh, being her friend by default when we met and mm. that helped uh, but the whole time with her I think was about creating our own little household and um, 
and then with her daughter being born, uh, that's kind of where we are now, this um, cell, right? That's this like super tiny uh, society of the three of us. And now we're looking to to re um, to to maybe find a community, but because you've just made this point, it makes me realize that maybe we haven't decided what what is this community going to be looking at, you know. And to me, mm-hmm. it's it's clear that the framing should be that it's a community that benefits all its members by allowing them to be mentally healthy, right? Mm. So it's kind of abstract. But um, but this is what I would be uh, looking for. Yeah. Hmm. That's lovely. That's lovely. Yeah. So that's that's a bit where you are now is living living in your cell of these three, yeah. <laughs> and, and then looking for what a larger what a larger community could and would look like. Yeah. 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 What about that's you? Beautiful. Hmm. What about me? Um, this Let's is a see. this is a uh, this is a two way interview, so we can see if we yeah, should be in the same it. community. <laughs> Apparently, I was hoping I was just interviewing you on this one. No, um, <laughs> yes. So, um, ideas of belonging and community and where they came from. So i I think I had a pretty um, thick sense of community growing up, um, although I didn't always feel like I belonged. So um, I am the middle child of seven. And I feel like any talk about belonging. No shit. I did not know that about you. Seven. Surprise. Yep. (laughs) I feel like any conversation about belonging and identity and, and finding your voice and who you are and having your voice be heard has to come with that context first. Um, and maybe that's the quintessential middle child thing to say, but um, (laughs) (laughs) um, I did grow up um, most of my childhood feeling a deep sense of belonging within my own nuclear family. Um, And uh, just my, my older siblings and I, and and younger siblings too, were very close growing up. Um, My mom taught each of us for a, for a time where we each homeschooled for a few years before you know, another kid would come along and she'd send the first one off to school, <laughs> homeschool the next few down the line. Um, and uh, my, yeah, I, I think that that felt very rich and good. Um, the larger context was that we were, we were nowhere close to my extended family. I did not grow up with a, with a robust sense of extended family like a lot of people do. A lot of people will grow up with uncles and aunts and cousins. And we had them, but only a few. We were definitely the big family of the families. And they all lived in the South and we lived um, outside of Chicago. So there was that sense of um, a little bit of dislocation from a larger sense of family, um, even though there was belonging within the smaller unit. And geographic distance. Um, I, I always sort of felt like an outsider growing up in the Midwest, even though most of my childhood was there because I was clear. My parents were clear. Everyone else was clear. We weren't really quote unquote from there, um, hmm. which is very silly. That's a small regional thing. You know, it's like, it's not, but, but that was real. That was there. Um, so they came from the South. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Both of my what, parents what were from state? North Carolina. Right. So um, which depending on where you're from in the South may or may not really count as the South, but right. <laughs> to most, yeah. to most people, I think it's it the South, yeah. but not the deep South. Oh right. yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, 
And those little, those little distinctions were, were just true in everything. The fact that I was homeschooled for the first several years and then started public school later, obviously I adjusted to that very quickly, but, but sort of the initial, you know, peers initial reactions to me as being previously homeschooled was something that I did not forget. Um, there was a lot of, you know, it's just the, the kind of people thinking I was weird and, and low grade bullying that you would expect nothing serious, but it was, it stuck. Um, so that, kind of feeling that way. Um, and another really interesting dynamic for me too was religion. I grew up in a family that went to an Anglican church, um, Episcopalian church, um, that is a, a certain kind of Protestant Christianity, um, but it looks very similar to Catholicism. Um, it's, right. I basically describe it for, for those who are not familiar with um, different Christian traditions, I basically describe it as progressive Catholic, which is not actually quite true but it's it's a shorthand for well it's it's catholicism with divorce mm -hmm. is what it is basically well <laughs> the the anglican one at least so i don't know yeah about exactly the and then if you're episcopalian you also you know appreciate women and leadership you're you know fine with gay marriage that you know so there's there's differences right. but um but a lot of the rituals and things look pretty similar to catholicism and i grew up in a town that was heavily evangelical christian which is very different um a yes. very different there is a lot of ritual, although they won't call it ritual. Um, it, and it tends to be, um, it's just a very different kind of environment. And so um, it was interesting, even within growing up within one religion and being around ostensibly that same religion, but of a different stripe, um, that created a lot of, you know, I had very different politics than most people I lived around. I had very different mm. thoughts about how we engage the world. I had different thoughts about what belief even means and what religion even means, different thoughts about what that meant about how we should live our lives. Um, and so it was, you know, it was largely, I largely had a very good childhood, um, but there were all of these little currents that just kind of kept telling me, you don't really, right. you don't really know what belonging is. You don't really have a larger place that's yours. Did, sort did of, you, did you it, feel seen? in your family or is it uh, are you drowning in a sea of, of siblings and that is Great like in terms question. of attention yeah. no <laughs> no what um, no I did not feel seen but I also you know what's interesting is I that's also not totally true I I felt I felt um yeah I I felt I felt deeply cared for and so that was, that was non-negotiable, um, which, or like that was never in doubt, which um, is, I think, a very fundamental baseline um, that I'm really grateful to have had. Um, being seen though, I think I didn't even know how to see myself mm. in all honesty. I think I didn't feel seen, but it's not because I felt like, I mean, in some ways it was just, there's too many kids drowning in a sea of siblings. You know, the oldest ones are getting attention because they're the oldest and they're forging the newest path. The youngest ones are getting attention. Right. Yeah. The middle So I'm just ones. sort of, oh, I'm sort of yeah. like, I got it. I definitely learned how to be completely individualistic because of that. That's yeah. for sure. Did you have like a moniker, no. like a something, uh, some distinguishing feature that where you would put it was like. I'm like, know, this one's the, me. <laughs> the troublemaker, the whatever, the black sheep, the whatever. No, Not necessarily, I but I mean, even, I no distinguishing feature. No. <laughs> <laughs> No, of course that's not true, right? Like you could you could talk to any member of my family and they'd be like, sure, she was X, Y, Z, but they probably all have different answers to that, which is interesting. Um, I think what I did learn 
I, I think, I think I had trouble seeing myself. And what I mean by that is I, I don't think I've ever said that out loud. So that's interesting. Um, I think what I mean by that is I, I had such deep love and admiration for my parents and I had deep love and admiration for my older siblings. And when you're a younger sibling, you get the benefit of watching the older ones and sort of seeing what they do that you like and seeing what they do that works and seeing what they do that definitely does not work. And you get to be like, oh, well, I will not do things that way. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) I have learned to not do it that way. Um, And so I think, I think my attention was always either on my older siblings and my parents and just sort of getting to bask in whatever wisdom or goodness they were sharing, or it was in books. I mean, I was an avid, I would, I would steal away and sit in the corner of the library. And that kind of felt like my, my act of autonomy was I'm going to go to the public library and find the fantasy book section and just sit there and read for hours. I mean, hours, like more than once my parents came to the library frantic, not knowing where I was. <laughs> so that was, um, I think, it, but in some ways that was my act of, this is my own space, my own time. I'm doing what I want because no one else was going with me. But in other ways, I was still getting lost in other people's worlds. You know, I wasn't, I wasn't um, making things or, or deep in my own thoughts. I was kind of avidly soaking up everybody else's. So um, so yes, I think it's, um, yeah, I think, I think feeling, I feel quite lucky in the sense that I, I never felt like my belonging within my nuclear family was in question. Um, and I know that is not a given and I'm very grateful for it. Um, but I think any sort of larger sense of community or belonging, or even my ability to kind of belong to myself, um, mm-hmm. and, and feel like my life is my own, um, that always felt very much more in question, um, growing up. So, wow. yeah. Yeah. And so the, the first time that you left home was for college, like around mm-hmm. that time. And did, yeah, did and you I go very I far? I sure did. Yep. <laughs> I always knew I would. Um, and that was also something that was very different. Most of my friends were looking at colleges nearby and they all stayed in Illinois and, they all sort of knew that I was going to be the one that, that went off um, and did other things. And I did, I went to a school in Maine, um, which is a state. <laughs> it's, a, <laughs> it's a state in the U S it's all it's the way. It's Canada, I think. It's, it's next to Canada. Yeah. They fought very. No, no, it is Canada. <laughs> <laughs> Maine would have some thoughts about that. No, there's been, um, it is not Canada and it's not Massachusetts, but, um, but uh, yeah, I, I think I always knew that I wanted to go to school far away. And a lot of that was, um, you know, I, I spent some of my childhood living overseas. I always wanted to travel, you know, it was a, it was a real kind of love for being in different environments, meeting different kinds of people, um, that kind of thing. But part of it was absolutely also, I need to go be my own person and, and feel my own feelings and think my own thoughts. Yeah. But that choice, let, let's discuss it because if you're, if you're, if you feel progressive for the meat West, usually you go just farther out West or something like that, or Mm. maybe like East coast, I don't know, one of the, one of the bigger cities there, but Maine that's uh, yeah. Like why, why Maine? (laughs) What was the appeal? I'm I'm asking this as a person who chose Georgia out of the 50 states available, you know, so I know, I know something about going where you're not expected to go. (laughs) 
Yeah. Well, I think that's part of it. Um, Maine is the East Coast. So there is that. And the school I went to is um, it's a small liberal arts private college that was very much it, it's one of the schools that are sort of the the East Coast mm. private liberal arts colleges. So in that sense, in, in the kind of progressive, highly educated progressive sense, it it made that was that was a linear choice. Gotcha. Um, but I do think you're hitting on something interesting in terms of choosing Maine. Um, I looked at a lot of different schools and many of them were in Boston. They were in Philadelphia. They were, you know, in UNC or at, sorry, <laughs> in Chapel Hill, um, or, uh, what have you. And I, um, something really appealed to me about Maine being sort of wilderness. It was, it's a, you know, much less populated state, certainly growing up in the Midwest, not a lot of people knew much about it. That was really appealing to me. It felt very new and, and different in that way. Um, but then I showed up and I think I loved, I loved the, I mean, it's just a gorgeous state. The, the topography is incredible. Um, but I think I loved the sense that everything was smaller. It did feel like a, a, a chance to um, work through, you know, the ideal of college is kind of working through some of your um, mental models of the world and your own understanding of who you are in the world is. And I love the idea of doing that in a smaller student body um, in a state and on a campus that was fairly remote um, or fairly sparsely populated and surrounded by trees and rocks and the ocean and birds. And that, that does lovely. sound lovely. Yeah. And what about and I hadn't like thought of it? I hadn't thought of it as a, a sort of sub end for an aesthetic experience, but I actually hmm. think that probably factored in. Okay. Yeah. Some part so, of me was like retreat, even like simultaneous deeper engagement and retreat kind of happening at the same time. Right. Right. So there yeah. weren't as many distractions, like in terms of, of college life. Did, uh, I don't know what college culture is, is there in that school, but obviously for a lot of people, there are a lot of distractions during college. And you can, again, I think if you're the type of person who's, um, happy to be accultured into any culture, you're kind of going with that and you can find yourself um, totally immersed in whatever novelties college has to offer, you know, in terms of like drug, sex and rock and roll. Mm -hmm. um, what was culture like there? And did you participate in life, not just in this aspect of life, but I don't know, like a school newspaper or something like that? Yeah. I was going to say, there was definitely drug, sex, and rock and roll at this college too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, um, but I think actually something that came to mind was um, growing up in a very, uh, my family personally was not upper middle class, but the suburb I grew up in was very generally wealthy, um, a very particular kind of um, <laughs> white capitalist generally Republican conservative society, fine. But I al always had the sense that that was not, that was not me. And it was very clearly like, I need to go find other models for what belonging and community look like. And I think I, I think I sensed that something that felt quite different could, could do that, or it could at least be a first step toward that. Um, in terms of things I engaged in, in school, I really felt belonging for the first time in a way that felt entirely um, independent of um, my family and my childhood, I think, in a singing group I was part of in school. Um, 
I was in an all female acapella group. I joined an acapella group before learning that acapella was a thing. It's, you know, <laughs> I feel like I have to add that disclaimer because people are like very into it in a way that I'm like, I didn't know. Really? That that really? I, I, um, I did not need that yes. disclaimer. I just don't know. Great. <laughs> This is before Pitch Perfect and all that. Anyway, um, it was a it was a group of women, and what I loved was just those small indicators that people might be your kind of people. You know, uh, there were a lot of different singing groups that felt um, on campus that felt very, I don't know, um, like there was a code. It was like everyone kind of dressed the same, everyone kind of looked the same. They were all singing the most popular songs. Everyone had a solo. You know, it's just kind of. Eh. Um, and this group was women that were just clearly um, brilliant. And a lot of them were independent majors, like had created their own course of study um, and in a variety of different, you know, feminist philosophy, um, deep like music, music and ethnography, just these really interesting combinations of, of inquiry that I was like, I already like your guys' brains. But um, the songs that we chose were, um, much less kind of popular songs and more um, older songs or songs from a variety of traditions and everyone would kind of um, orchestrate it in a way that no one had the solo everyone was singing together all the way mm -hmm. through which actually is I think music is a really interesting form of community building and also community testing mm. where it's sort of like how do you how do you make music together and where how can you be truly collaborative and truly participatory in this form of art making. Um, anyway, all, that can all be another conversation, but <laughs> this was the group that made me feel like, oh, I really admire everyone in this group. And, and in some ways I'm intimidated by everyone in it. And also I, I fully belong. I auditioned, they really want me. They're really glad I'm here. This is great. And that really felt like a cool early indication of belonging, I think. Yeah, do, do you still hold that as the standard? for what you would be looking for in a way? Oh, great question. I think I hold that as a standard when it comes to music specifically. So I play music, um, I sing and play violin and um, I'm teaching myself guitar, although not in a dedicated way. I technically have been teaching myself guitar for a year and a half and I'm exactly as good as I was a year ago. <laughs> so maybe maybe try maybe try the, the string on it and it'll work. Yeah, exactly. I'll pick up a bow and see. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I think when I, I think that sense of belonging musically, um, understanding, I think what I got from that experience was understanding that when everyone is working toward a common purpose and we believe what we believe in like the end product and what it can be, and everyone is playing their own part and everyone is kind of responsible for it, but together we're all far more interested in what the whole product sounds like than we are in whatever our own part is. And so I could be singing one note the entire time and that would actually be just as satisfying as me getting to sing the melody the whole time because the end result is the sound. And mm -hmm. we know that our, our roles and responsibilities are gonna change with every song. No one person got all the best parts and no one person was stuck with none of the fun parts. Um, and so I think in terms of music making, that's the standard. And in terms of collaborative work, I think that also is still probably a standard for me. Um, belonging is a more interesting question. I haven't thought about it in that way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think, I think that it's 
like you say, the, the belonging is, is just comfortable when you feel that you're contributing towards a shared, a shared goal. Um, mm -hmm. And yeah, but maybe before I go into, into theory, like what would be, or, or if you want to still go over like time between college and then like, what are some other places where you uh, thought about community and, and, and how were things in, in Austin? Like, yeah, yeah. So there's been a lot of examples. Um, but one thing, one thing I did want to highlight, and I'm so sorry, I cannot remember if we've already talked about this on this podcast or if we've just talked about it <laughs> in our conversations. So if I'm repeating, we can just cut this section. Um, but, <laughs> um, one one other thing that that has become a real um, kind of litmus test for for a sense of belonging community for me is something that I was part of building in DC um, when I lived in Washington DC. I lived there for about ten years in between college and moving here to Austin, and um, I got involved in a um, in hosting house concerts, and so I would host musicians in my living room. Um, and local musicians. And at the time I lived in a house that had a very small living room, but it had a big back porch and it actually had a little roof deck on top of our house as well. Um, and so my favorite series then was I would host a series called the Tiny Roof um, Sessions, Tiny Desk Concerts, Tiny Roof Concerts, um, based off of the NPR Tiny Desk Concerts. Um, and I would have a summer series where musicians would come up onto my roof deck and play unplugged acoustic music while the sun was setting behind them. And it was such a small venue, uh, quote unquote, that, you know, spots would be very limited to about 20 people. Even mm -hmm. that was pushing it with the weight limits, but that, that was what I was comfortable with. Yeah. Um, and it was such a small gathering that no one would be on their phones because they would know how rude that was. The musician is right here in their mm. face playing. Um, but it was open air enough that no one would feel claustrophobic. You could always go back downstairs if you needed to. And it was just sitting and listening to acoustic music from, from wonderful musicians in the city as the sunset. And That's it was, beautiful. It was beautiful. Yeah, I was very I'm, proud I'm, of I'm it. Upset. it really I'm upset I never experienced it. Yeah, well, I, we will someday. <laughs> we'll figure out a way to make that happen again. But, but the larger point there is, um, I think I fell in love with playing music and being around others who played it. But I also fell in love with the possibility of um, bringing that into our homes, seeing our homes mm. as a space for gathering far beyond who owns the house and far beyond even who lives in it full time. And in D.C. particularly, that was um, economically significant because D.C. is a very expensive place to live. And there are a lot of houses that can sleep four, five, six, seven people. There's, you know, houses, a lot of row houses with a lot of bedrooms. And so a lot of people my age, I was there for almost my whole twenties. Um, a lot of people my age were living, you know, six, seven, eight adults in one house at a time. And what that automatically breeds among other things is like cooperative living. You have to learn how to share resources to some degree, but it also breeds a spirit of creativity and innovation. And it was a really interesting insight that um, basically a lot of venues at the time were charging major, um, taking major cuts away from musicians that were playing there. So musicians were getting a little bit screwed over by venues. Um, people wanted to go see shows and didn't always have money to pay the ticket price. And people wanted to be able to host things that were important to them and meaningful. So the obvious solution to me and some others was, 
use the space that you have. This space is underused. You want to use it in creative ways. Musicians are have it real hard and everyone wants to be able to see concerts. So that's the bottleneck. Let's let's have more. And we did not start hosting in DC, house hosting in the DC. That was a long-standing tradition already. But um, what some friends and I realized was that we were we were meeting more and more people who were doing that who didn't know about each other. And so we started mm -hmm. hosting convenings between hosts that lived in all four quadrants of the city and training people how to host and getting a little bit of, you know, we added, you know, a schedule that people could find shows that were happening or playing matchmaker between artists and, and venues. But otherwise we were just sort of putting some light structure on what was already existing. And what I found about community in that regard was it was several of us that knew an existing place intimately and were able to start seeing the gaps in it and start seeing the opportunities in it and bring people together with resources we already had in a way that opened it up for a new use. And like radical can, things can come out of just hosting people in your living room in a different way. You know, it was like, yeah, there yeah. Was, there was nothing particularly innovative or groundbreaking about it. And like everyone knows about house show, house show hosting networks. There's all kinds of commercial versions of that. So even that idea is not particularly shockingly new. What felt so special to me about it was that we were just realizing you start to get that repetition. You know, the same people start coming to house shows that you see, you meet somebody in one person's home, which is already an intimate experience. And then a week later, you see them in another person's home on the other side of the city. And you're like, oh my gosh, it's you again. And oh my gosh, you were a musician that played at that show four weeks ago. And now you're here as an audience member. And that's so cool. And just being able to, um, to host people, to host each other in, in ways that are um, also about art and about just getting to, to all be together felt really important. Yeah, that's, that's great. And it really, you know, usually we speak of tight-knit communities where it sounds like you had a, a loose-knit community, which is kind of cool, more like people going in and out of a scene, but there is, there definitely is a scene that's happening and enabling people to to come meet together and it's a lot like the the interintellects right i just mm -hmm. yesterday recorded with uh with anna gut and uh yeah so first of all it's amazing that the idea of it of the interintellect didn't pop in your head but in her head <laughs> <laughs> um but it sounds a lot like it and it's it's mm -hmm. wonderful and i think that it does take some creativity to recombine these things because you know you you meet some people you love music you have these houses but it's it's not obvious that you could bring all of them all of them together mm. um mm -hmm. in that and that sounds like more like one of those communities that's centered around uh, a shared love right because mm -hmm. there, there wasn't anything long term about it um or or anything like that so uh, that's really interesting because whatever yeah. community I would choose uh, or I will choose in the, in the future. I, I wish for myself to, to find one that, I, that we really like. I, I would want to have both things, right? Mm -hmm. And that's, that's something that, that the kibbutz lacked because there was not a lot of uh, spare time and resources in the, in the beginning, especially for any sort of artistic endeavor. So a lot of the artists um, had to cook food or do menial jobs you know, and that's what I was kind of talking about when I said that um, the culture didn't really let them 
soar for as as high as they could yeah. have artistically. Mm-hmm. Um, and it sounds like whatever community we want to be part of, we would want both these things to be to be there. Yeah. And yeah. I think I think this good mix also would be uh, would be um, would be present in the community which I would like to live in, which is a community that that helps its members uh, just be mentally healthy, you know. Yeah. And I don't yeah. particularly care about the rules of that mm-hmm. of that community at all, mm-hmm. as long as it achieves the the purpose of actually helping people mm-hmm. um which is which is really interesting i i don't know if enough communities make sure that they have both these things together they that that shared understanding that what they're doing that is very much about about uh, life's biggest questions and mental health and so on but also leave a lot of room for this fun uh, type of community where people with shared interests are completely able to go um, and find their thing, even if it's outside of that community that is about the big things, right? So what happens if you go to the next city over? Well, really nothing. This is the kind of of liberty that you should still keep living in Mm -hmm. in a community. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's right. And I think, I think the similarities between your experience woofing and my experience of house shows in DC are actually really interesting because they both do feel like there's there's a couple of central nodes, there's kind of central hosts at play, but otherwise it is a very free um, come and go as you need. And I that is interesting. Um, I think interintellect is another good example of that. And it's interesting to to think about the many different connotations we have with the word community and what we actually mean by it. Because as you were talking. Um, about kind of your impressions of what I had done. It almost makes me think of like um, networked belonging is different than maybe is something different than like community or, or maybe it's just, that's one, that's one form of it. Um, What's the sense of where do I feel like a belong versus um, what will, what will support me? in different ways or kind of what, what supports me when the chips are down versus uh, what supports me and elevates me to kind of be my best self versus where can I just show up and belong and can all those three things live in the same mechanism or not? Um, Feels like the juicy question that I certainly don't know the answer to, but. um, Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's, you know, it's, it's tempting to say that any online uh, community um, of people who just meet on Twitter or any other place like that, um, it's natural for them to want to to move in together and maybe make mm-hmm. it into that. That won't necessarily work because you, you the reason you showed up or ended up, you know, the Twitter algo is very good at putting us where we belong in some sense, um, and also makes it hard for us to ever leave. But. Um, <laughs> It's definitely centered around uh, a, a vibe to you or something like that, mm-hmm. right? Like, uh, and there, and then there are the, the memes that this community shares and the shared ideas and whatnot. Um, but there's almost no talk about more central, like deeper, abstract things like mental health. And yeah, this is super. I, I understand it. You know, I'm I'm mm-hmm. I'm fearing that 
for the rest of my life, I, I would be looking for that community. But just arriving at an agreement with one person about what this means and what this entails, if we are mm -hmm. to, to share space and resources, you know, is so difficult that, that it does seem overwhelming to take on the problem as a whole with the stated um, goal of creating a community that, that serves ev everyone in terms of, of mental health. Um, mm -hmm. it, does, it does seem like a, a really big undertaking. Mm. So this may be, I don't know if you have an answer to this question, but as you look ahead, the kinds of community that you're hoping for and what you would really love to see in the world, what do you see? Do you see any communities or kind of existing networks that are demonstrating this sort of welcome and, and consideration for mental health? Or does this feel like a really clear gap that just... Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if yeah. there ever was a community. I think obviously the idea behind communism and behind um, any sort of ideology that brings people together to try their hand at building community. Uh, I'm sure that everyone, uh, just as they do in their personal lives, their aim is to live well in some sense that they not necessarily have conceived all the way through. Um, but uh, if any community has ever discussed and stated its role as being there for each member so that they may be mentally healthy, which I think is the highest good in this life, uh, mm. I, I don't think so. And mm. um, it needs to be, it needs to be, you know, this, this brings me back to the pretty much the moment I, I, I met my wife for the first time. Uh, like I said, at, at around that time, I had already understood that uh, a friend is something that you need to be by default mm. and, and, not, and not something that just happens over time or something like that. From the first moment you meet somebody, already be the type of person that doesn't want to miss an opportunity to be a friend to that person, which means mm. to benefit them and to assist them in, in their own journey towards uh, living well. Um, and mm. we discussed it, we did dialectic on it, me and my wife, like quite early on, and I feel like that, that uh, prepared the ground for the relationship because we understood mm. that we're there for the friendship and this is what what's there um so i think people are not accustomed to really doing dialectic and discussing discussing what friendship is but i think it's it's necessary in any community building whatever you have going on in terms of initial attraction in terms of uh shared hobbies uh in terms of um uh, all of you being on the same level financially or something so that nobody feels like uh, somebody's getting something they don't deserve or anything like that. All these um, types of fittingness are, are great, but they're, I don't think they're going to carry you uh, a very long distance. The, these all kind of fade, you know, just because you both love music doesn't mean that you can live together or you have right. the same ethics in, in right. other ways and so on. Um, so I do think that any community that, that wants to become needs to discuss these things on a, on a philosophical mm -hmm. level and, mm -hmm. and decide and have everyone 
really understand, not, not just sign a paper, here are my duties, whatever, but really understand what, what it entails. Um, and that's quite difficult uh, because yeah. as we discussed in, in, in the previous episode, it's um, in, the, in the ancient world, it was easy because you really depended on these people. So that was it for, for better or for worse. Um, you would have a community because without it, you wouldn't survive. But in this day and age, I think we need to uh, really talk about what uh, brings us together and what we're here for and how we're going to do it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's absolutely right. And so maybe, maybe a, a closing question for you then would be what, if you were to, um, what is the step toward kind of nudging this community along or the birth of some sort of community around mental health look like for you? Do you have any ideas? What would, what would kind of a, a step one or two look like? Yeah, well, I guess, you know, I just have to talk about it more and mention mm -hmm. it to more people and say, here's, here's, here's what we're going to do. And um, because I, I have friends around here in the kibbutz, childhood friends, but I don't get to see them, to see them as much as I would like. And uh, I think that um, we live in an individualistic world where each of us has their business or whatever career, and uh, we're not we're not there for one another as much as as we should. And it's unclear what is going to bring us together. I, I had friends I discussed moving to a different part of Israel, and they were like, "It's getting to be so expensive to buy a house here. Let's move to this other region." And I'm like, okay, but only only in the condition that we're going to like uh, center our lives around some shared space or, or something like that, or business, something like that. Because if, if I'm going to move there, but I'm still going to see you, you know, just, mm -hmm. uh, just have a sitting every few nights and, and talk for an hour. I'm not sure why we would do that. Um, but I think it's, it needs to be talked more. I think we should be aware that it's, it's so easy to go with your initial attraction. If you like fall in love with someone, yes, it's tempting to think that things are going to stay like that mentally. But of course, we all know this is not mm -hmm. what carries uh, couples or communities forward a long while. And, and what is uh, carrying people forward for a long while are shared concepts and, and shared goals and um, agreement on things that are central to our mental health. So everybody's aiming to live well. Of course, that's almost, you know, you can't really imagine somebody trying to harm themselves, right? That doesn't make sense. It's paradoxical, but um, it takes a lot of thought to, to realize what it is that actually um, is good for you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love the idea of just continuing to talk about it. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's step one is, yeah, finding, sending out be. the signals. Finding and and I haven't, I haven't, yeah. I haven't, I haven't been mm. talking enough about it. I should mm. um, put it more into the, uh, the great uh, internet. <laughs> yeah, and see what yeah. comes back. Yeah. Well, this was wonderful. Yeah, definitely. And uh, well, you're going to see some uh, friends. I am. Of, yeah. Yes. Speaking of speaking of online belonging versus offline belonging. Yeah, I um, I 
met uh, a wonderful set of people through Twitter and the internet intellect and, you know, larger digital spaces. Um, and we're going to gather in person and try to make some art together. So we will see. Maybe our next conversation will be me telling you how that went. <laughs> yeah, and I'm the same. So in early May, I'm going to, to see friends in Austria and make art yes. together. So I love it. Wonderful. I'm looking forward to catching up. Yes, I can't wait to compare notes on our, our, our experiments of online to offline belonging. Yes. So, All yeah. right, to the catch up. <laughs>